Well, after taking a break for the holidays, we are returning to our sermon series on the New Testament letter of Romans. It was before Thanksgiving since we last looked at Romans, so let me give you just a bit of a brief refresher. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Christians living in the city of Rome roughly 30 years after Jesus died and rose again. Paul had not yet visited the city of Rome, and so he did not know all of these people. And so this letter was kind of a way of introducing both himself and, more importantly, his message, ensuring that the Romans believed the same gospel that he had been preaching. So what is that gospel? Well, the word gospel means good news. And it was the good news of how God provided a way for sinners to be righteous in his sight because of what Jesus did by dying on the cross and rising again. That is the good news. And so in chapters 1 through 3 of Romans, Paul had been focused on what we need to be saved from. What we need to be saved from, that we are all sinners and we cannot make ourselves righteous or right with God by what we do, by our good works, our good intentions, our good religious observance. We cannot make ourselves right with God. We need Jesus to save us from sin and from God's wrath against our sin so we can be accepted by God. And so as we're moving into chapters 4 through 6, this season leading into Easter, the focus is not on what we are saved from, but how we are saved. How does believing in Jesus actually work? And as he begins to answer this question, Paul starts with the Old Testament, Because he wants to show that while he is preaching something new, it is very much the same and in continuity with everything that came before. And so in chapter 4, he spends most of his time talking about Abraham, that really old guy from Genesis. Abraham is his focus, that he is a test case. Because he wants to know, how was it that that guy was saved? And is it anything connected to how we are saved? And so that's what we're looking at this morning as we start Romans chapter 4. So let me encourage you, if you don't have your bulletins out or your Bible or your Bible app or whatever you're looking at, look at the text with me. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Let us hear the Word of God. What then, shall we say, was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. 
Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Let us come to the Lord in prayer this morning. O gracious God, we are thankful that you are a God who does not count our sins against us and counts us as righteous in Christ. And so as we come to the text this morning, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, open hearts and minds to understand, and we pray, O God, that you would work through your word. Use me in spite of my own sin and weakness to faithfully proclaim your word and spirit go forth through the power of the word of God and in answer to our prayers that you would accomplish your great purposes through the preaching of your word and building up the church and saving sinners and leading us to rest and trust in Christ our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Looking at our passage this morning, we're going to do three very, very basic questions as we look at what's in this text. First, what does this mean? Second, how can that even be true? And then third, why does any of this matter? That's usually our favorite. Why does any of this matter? Why am I even here? But first, let's start with, what does this mean? And specifically, what does the word counted mean? mean. Paul uses that word five times in these eight verses, and really his entire point that he's writing about, it hinges on how we understand the word counted. The reason that word is so important is because that word is used in Genesis 15.6, which is what Paul quotes in verse 3, that Paul knew his Bible. He's looking back at the Old Testament story of Abraham, and in verse 3 of this chapter, he quotes Genesis 15.6, and it says this, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so again, we're left with all right, so there's counted. What does that mean? Well, let's, let's think through what he's trying to say about Abraham. Paul recognizes that everyone would agree Abraham was right with God. He was a forefather in the faith. He believed God. He obeyed God. He is a model for all of us. But Paul wants people to ask, how exactly was Abraham right with God? What was it that made him righteous. Because if it was his obedience to God that made him righteous, then Abraham would have reason to boast about how righteous he was. And I have accomplished this righteousness. In fact, he could be proud and say, God, you owe me blessing because I have done such good things. But Paul points to Genesis. And he says what made him righteous was not what he did, his works. It was his faith, his belief. He believed God and it, his belief, was counted to him as righteousness. Now, Abram's belief in this passage is not merely that God exists or God is good or any of those things. Abraham believed what God promised. Abraham believed that God would do what he had promised to do, no matter how unlikely it seemed. 
And for Abraham, that was very unlikely because the specific promise in Genesis 15 is that this really old guy, Abraham, I mean like 70s and 80s and even into his 90s, Abraham, who also had a wife who was not quite as old, but also old, Sarah, who was barren and could not get pregnant and have children, that they would have a child. And 80-year-old Abraham is like, yeah, right. But he believed. He actually believed. Abraham believed God would do this. And his faith was counted as righteousness. And so perhaps you brought your own Bible with you today. And maybe it's a different translation than the English Standard Version that I'm using here. And so it might use a different word for counted. Maybe it's using the word credited or reckoned or accounted. And if you're like me, you hear all of those words and go, I still don't know what that means. What does that mean? Thankfully, Paul in verses 4 and 5 helps us understand what it means to have faith counted as righteousness. He writes this, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So Paul is contrasting the word counted with this idea of wages. Wages are paid in exchange for work. That if you work, your work earns you your wages. And so if Abraham worked in some way to earn a wage of righteousness, God would be, in a sense, required to pay Abraham that righteousness. But Paul says he was counted righteous, not wages. And so Paul compares it instead of wages. He's like, that's not what happened. It's more like a gift that God did not have to count Abraham's belief as righteousness, but he did. It was a gracious gift of God to count faith as righteousness, even though Abraham was not righteous. And especially because Abraham could not make himself righteous, and God lovingly, graciously counted that belief as righteousness. So I want you to think now about our New Testament reading from Matthew 20, that parable Jesus told about the laborers in the vineyard. The first workers, they get on the job and they come to an agreement with the owner. We will work all day for the wage of one day's work, which was a denarius. That's a fair exchange. They put in a full day's work. They get a full day's wage. They earn that. But the later workers are told, I'll just give you whatever's right. There is not a very clear agreement there. It's all do right by you. But at the end of the day, the owner of the vineyard decides to generously give to all the other workers a full day's wage. Notice the first workers earned it. They had every right to expect and even demand that wage. But the laborers who did not work a full day could not demand it. This was a gift. Their partial work and the simply willingness to go work 
was counted as a full day's work, even though it wasn't. Now, you may notice in this passage, those workers who showed up at the beginning of the day were furious because they said, you guys didn't earn this. But that's the owner's point. I know they didn't earn it. I gave it to them generously. It was a gift. It was not a wage. It was a gift in this instance. And so that is what the word counted means. It is not this wage that we earn and deserve something for what we have worked. Rather, we have not done what we need to do. But someone, God in this instance, has graciously counted something as righteousness. And in our case, in this passage, it is our belief, our faith in God and what He does. But as we hear that New Testament reading, the objection of the all-day workers leads into our second big question. Can God do that? Can God count someone as righteous when he or she is not actually righteous? How can God do that? Couldn't you see God as dishonest, as unfair? Just listen to what Paul writes about God in verse 5. Him who justifies the ungodly. Paul's just flat out saying, hey, you know that God who's the perfectly good and just judge of all the universe? He is going to count an ungodly person as righteous. And I hope we're starting to sense like, that's, I I mean, it sounds good, but it also sounds like it might kind of be wrong. And so Paul takes us to another revered Old Testament figure to help us sort out why this feels awkward to us. He looks at King David. King David wrote Psalm 32. That's what's quoted in verses 7 through 8. It's what Mary Rachel read as part of our prayer of confession this morning, Psalm 32. And so Paul is quoting David. He writes this, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So David says a man or woman is blessed when God does not count his or her sins against him or her. This is like the flip side of what happens with Abraham. That God is not counting something bad against David, even though David deserved something bad. This idea of counting, even though there is something that is real and actual, I am not counting it as it should be counted. So not only did David receive this from God, we see David demonstrate this to others. That's what we saw in the Old Testament reading. Shimei, total jerk to David, cursed him, yelled at him, threw rocks at him and his men. David is leaving Jerusalem in exile because his son has essentially kicked him out of the city. And Shimei is just like hurling rocks at the guy on his way out. A few chapters later, that all gets cleared up. David's coming back into town. And Shimei's tune has changed. He pleads for David, hey, please don't count my sins against me. And David's men, kind of like the laborers who worked all day, were like, he deserves to die. But David 
chooses not to count Shimei's sin against him. It was a gift. It was showing someone gracious love when they deserve the opposite. And so we see from David to not count someone's sin against them is a blessed gift. We see it as something God does and something He likes when His people do it. But we are still left with that question, yeah, but can He do it without being unjust? Shouldn't that jerk Shimei have to pay for his sins? How can God simply ignore the evil done by people? How can He call people righteous when they are not? Well, the answer is He can do so because of Jesus. And the good news that Paul is writing about in this letter holds the key for understanding how God can count sinners as righteous when we're not. See, God doesn't count our sins against us, but He does count our sins against Jesus. That when Jesus died on the cross, our sins were counted to Him and He suffered the wrath. And so justice is still upheld, but we get to be forgiven. In the same way, God also counts Jesus' righteousness, which rightly belongs to Him, He counts it as belonging to us, even though we are not righteous. And so Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life, and God accounts that righteousness to those who believe in Jesus. This is what our affirmation of faith described as justification where our sins are counted against Jesus and not us, and His righteousness is counted to us so that we can be right before God. And the way we receive this blessing is through faith in Jesus. It's by believing that God sent Jesus for this very purpose. We believe that God can't just, ah, we'll just forget about that, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's such a big deal He sent His Son to take on Himself the wrath for all the sins of God's people. It's such a big deal He had to come and live the life that no human person could ever live in perfect righteousness. And so if we believe that God does these things, these countings for us in Jesus, then we are counted as righteous In God's sight. Well, that brings us to the third question for this morning. Why why does this matter? Why does this point about justification, of counting our sins not against us and counting righteousness to us, why does this matter so much? Why does this make any difference? Well, I want to answer this by showing you why the good news is so good. I want to show you what's so great about being justified by faith as opposed to your works. Because our default in the world is we think like those very first workers, that I need to earn something to receive it. And if I have earned it, you better give it to me, because I earned it. And if I haven't earned it, I'm all nervous that I need to do more to earn it. That's our normal way of doing just about everything in the world. But this other way is God's way. 
and it is way better. So we're going to look at three quick comparisons to show us why this counting of righteousness by faith is so much better. First, it concerns our attitude towards God and towards others. As Paul notes in verse 2, if we are justified by our works, we would have grounds for boasting. We'd be able to brag to others that, hey, I'm a really good person. And God's going to let me into heaven because I'm so great. I have saved myself through all of my good deeds, good intentions. That would cause you to develop pride, leading you to look down on others who you didn't think were as good as you. We would also have this attitude of boasting towards God. We would bring our good works before Him like we had had an awesome resume and we'd come with a sense of entitlement saying, hey, this is earned stuff before you, God. I would like that blessing now. That attitude springs from trusting our works to save us. But if we trust that God counts us as righteous when we believe Jesus saves us, we're going to have a totally different attitude. Instead of boasting, we will see ourselves as blessed recipients of God's grace. Instead of being filled with pride puffing us up, we will be filled with gratitude at God's amazing grace. We won't look down on others because we'll be too busy pointing them to our generous God who justifies the ungodly. Now, I don't know about you, but that joyful gratitude is far more attractive than the self-righteous pride of people who trust in their own works. God's way is the better way, making us blessed people instead of boasting people. The second comparison concerns our attitude towards our status before God. That if we trust in our works to make us righteous before God, we will have this nagging anxiety that comes from wondering whether we have done enough. Am I really righteous? Have I done enough? Have I checked all the boxes? Are you sure I'm good? What is like 98% okay? What about 97.5? Am I good? How good is good enough? Is God accepting me? Maybe it's not what we've done. Maybe we are trusting in the strength of our faith. God, is my faith strong enough? Do I believe you strong enough? I had that doubt the other day. Do I not have faith now? If we are trusting in our own works or trusting in the strength or level of our faith, we will be crippled by anxiety, wondering if we're okay with God. But if we are trusting not in ourselves, if we are trusting in God who saves us in Christ, we can have genuine assurance of our salvation. Instead of trusting in works or strength of faith, we trust in the strength of the one in whom we have faith. And so instead of worrying, am I holding tightly enough onto God and what if I let go? We realize our hope is not in our grip. Our hope is in His grip. That we are trusting that He is holding on to us. We don't have to worry if we've done enough because guess what? Jesus has done it all for us. And this should set our hearts at rest, giving us peace and assurance in place of anxiety, knowing that we have not earned righteousness, but we have been counted as righteous. God's way is the better way. Assurance over anxiety. The third comparison then concerns our attitude towards the fact that we all continue to struggle with sin. 
If you are trusting in your own ability to be righteous before God, then any sin you commit is a threat. And so we try to ignore our sin. That didn't really happen. One of those, hey, if I don't notice it, God won't notice it. Or we might excuse our sin. Explaining and rationalizing why we had no choice or it wasn't that big of a deal or lots of other people do that. And that ends up to us hiding our sin or hiding from our sin. And it continues to grow and fester like mold in our hearts instead of being cleaned through confession and repentance. See, if we trust that God counts us as righteous, even when we are sinners, we are freed to face those sins head on. I can look at my own sin, no matter how bad it is, because God is not counting that sin against me because of Jesus. And we can have humility towards ourselves, knowing that we are not righteous because we actually made ourselves righteous. We are righteous because of Jesus. This makes us able to deal with our sin and grow in holiness without that fear that I'm not growing fast enough or I might sin so much that God kicks me out. We have a settled righteousness that lets us try to be righteous, not to save ourselves, but because we know our gracious God wants us to be. He knows it is best for us. God's way is the best way. He wants humble people, not hiding people. These three comparisons show us just how good the good news is. That you can be counted righteous by trusting in God's provision of Jesus as our Savior. And what we are called to do is to transfer our trust. To no longer trust that there is something about me and what I have done or the strength of my faith or that I'm such a good person. We transfer our trust away from those things and trust in the finished work of Jesus. That He has done what is needed. We let go of thinking that we are saved by our works and trust that God saves us by faith. It is through trusting Him alone that we are saved and we enjoy the blessing that our sins will not be counted against us and that Christ's righteousness will be counted to us. May the Lord give us such faith that we receive those things. And may He give us the words to share this good news with others that they too will be counted righteous like us. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank You for Your Word and the good news of the Gospel. Lord, I pray You would seal this Word in our hearts. So often we can move to the very next thing, but I pray, O Lord, that this would linger, that the truth of the Gospel would so stick with us, and if we do believe in Jesus, would it fill us with such great joy. But Lord, if we're here this morning and we're not sure and we're seeking and we're confused about Christ, if we've been trusting our works and feeling that anxiety or struggling with hiding our sins, if we can look and see how we've boasted against others. Lord, help us to transfer our trust, to repent of the ways we try to save ourselves and trust in Christ our Savior. Lead us in that way, O God, and give us rest in the righteousness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.